Thank you, Pastor. I always am grateful for the opportunity to preach at uh, Grace Fellowship, to worship with you, to be here with you. And uh, so I am uh, especially grateful to be a part of this series in Proverbs. Uh, But what I'd like to do is kind of step out of Proverbs and look in through the window. So you've been going uh, pretty much verse by verse through the book of Proverbs in these early chapters. That's going to transition in a few more chapters to more of a uh, thematic or topical as, as more and more you progress through the book and um, it becomes less paragraph-centered and more couplet or sentence-centered in Hebrew poetry. Uh, but today I want to kind of take the overall theme that you've been working through as you've been navigating the first five chapters of Proverbs and talk about Uh, the way of wisdom. So the second sermon in this series was entitled, chapter 2 of Proverbs was entitled, The Way of Wisdom. And so as we think about the book of Proverbs as a whole, in fact, all of the poetical books of the Bible sometimes are called the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And Proverbs in particular, uh, written by most of it being written by the wisest man uh, who lived until the time of Jesus, um, It's just helpful, I think, for us to think about, okay, how do we take the wisdom that is presented to us in Proverbs and live that out specifically in the area where it comes to decision-making and knowing God's will for our life? So that's what I want to talk to you today about is finding the will of God in the way of wisdom. So taking the things that you're learning in the book of Proverbs and unpacking that in the context of how do I deal with the decisions that I have to face. So to that end, I would one more time like to ask you to join me to to seek God and His help as we study His Word together. Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that it would direct our steps, that it would uh, shape and form uh, what we believe and drive how we behave. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired your word would be our instructor today. Guide us into truth and guard us from error. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can almost guarantee that for every single one of you in the next three years, you're going to have a major decision to face. You may be facing one right now, but it's just the way life rolls at us, right? Some of you are going to have decisions to make about graduate school or about marriage or about a career or about a major financial purchase or about where you're going to live. Um, But those those kind of decisions just constantly roll as we go through life. And for those of us who are Christ followers, we have a a unique desire to want to make those decisions in alignment with the Word of God and the will of God. What is God's will for our lives as we face these kinds of decisions? So that's that's our desire as Christians is to make decisions according to the will of God. The question is, what is the will of God and how can I know the will of God? And so I want to kind of try to 
share some thoughts with you from the Word of God related to that today. When we speak of the will of God, what are we talking about? We, we might better use the phrase, the wills, plural, of God. Because when the Bible speaks of the will of God, theologians dissect that, as theologians are prone to do, uh, into the sovereign will of God, the moral will of God, and sometimes we speak of the individual will of God. And so I kind of want to walk through those with you this morning and land on that last one and maybe propose a different way, a better way to look at that than maybe we have in the past. So what do we mean when we say the sovereign will of God? Sometimes it's called the decretive will of God or the secret will of God. Sometimes it's called the perfect will of God. All of those are, are the, the English language doesn't quite give us what we need to really unpack what we're, we're talking about. So uh, the, the sovereign will of God is God's secret plan that determines everything that happens in the universe. So you're familiar with the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Look at this chapter uh, on the will of God from, uh, or on God's decree from chapter 3. It's my understanding that recently I think the men were in this chapter in the men's Bible study working through this chapter on God's decree. Look at what it says. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears His wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing His degree. decree. Excuse me. So this is... This is uh, the, the point uh, that Dr. Sproul was making when he talked about the fact that there is no maverick molecule in the universe. If you can't believe that God is sovereign in His will, then you have... If you believe that there is some maverick molecule that is not under the control of God, then you have no confidence in believing any of His promises. For God to be sovereign means that all things, all things, it means that all things are under His control. There's too much for us to unpack in that chapter uh, from the 1689 Confession, but let me, just, let me just point out three or four characteristics of God's sovereign will. And that's, that's the label we'll use for this, His decree, is His sovereign will. The first point I would, I would make is that God's sovereign will is certain. It is certain. Let's look at Psalm 115, verse 3. The Bible says, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. He does whatever He pleases. It is certain. It's not hopeful. It's not wishful. It is certain. God does whatever He pleases. Look at Psalm 135. And verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. His will is certain. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, 
Verse 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And so um, we can know, we can rest assured that the perfect will of God, the decretive will of God, if you will, is certain. It is certain to happen because God will do whatever he wants and that will stand. Look at Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Paul's going to wrestle with that and unpack that in Romans chapter 9. We're not going to take time to look at that today. But I want you to know that when we think about the sovereign will of God, one of the characteristics of that decretive will is that it is certain. Secondly, I would point out to you that it is exhaustive. And, and by that, I mean it includes everything. It includes things that are huge. It includes things that are minute. It includes things that are grand and great and wonderful. It includes things that are bad and calamitous and catastrophic. So look at Romans 8.28. And we know that, what does it say? All things. This is the part of the sermon where there is participation. What does it say? All things. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. He is weaving all of our circumstances together into a tapestry that is going to be a beautiful mosaic, a beautiful picture of His goodness, His grace, His glory at work in our lives. We just heard a testimony to that, that God can take all things. God will never waste a heartache. And God takes all things and works them together for our good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In Him also we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God's will is exhaustive. It, it includes things like decisions that kings and countries and presidents and prime ministers make. And it includes things like the dice you're going to roll when you play Monopoly. <laughs> Everything, grand and great, small and seemingly insignificant, is under the control of God's sovereign will. Things that are sweet and blessed and things that are calamitous and catastrophic. This past week... Um, a very good friend of ours, a pastor's wife, uh, with um, uh, she and her husband have five young boys. This past week, that godly man died of cancer. This young bride is now a widow with five boys to raise on her own. And while we don't understand why God allows hard providences to come into our lives, we can say with confidence that God's sovereign will is certain and exhaustive enough to include all things, those things that are precious and those things that are painful. God's sovereign will is also secret in that He, he doesn't always reveal that to us. I know we wish He would, that we could kind of 
he could kind of give us a, a peek over the hill to see what's coming next. But God, in his wisdom, has chosen to keep his sovereign will secret. Sometimes it's called the secret will of God. We don't really know what that is until it happens. How can we know if something is part of God's sovereign will or not? Well, the easiest way to do it is to look in the rearview mirror, to look back over your shoulder and say, did it happen? If it happened, it was part of God's sovereign will. Whether it was big or small, whether it was good or bad, uh, if, if, it, if it, the only way we can know for certain that something was God's sovereign will is to look at it in retrospect. Get a history book and you can see the sovereign will of God because everything that God decrees comes to pass, big and small, but we don't always know that ahead of time. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things, there are some secret things. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So we don't really know what God's sovereign decretive will, what has God decreed in this circumstance? We don't really know until it happens because God doesn't necessarily choose to reveal that to us ahead of time. There are some exceptions. One exception is Bible prophecy. God has told us certain things are going to happen in time. We, we certainly believe and embrace the truth that Jesus Christ is going to literally, physically, bodily return to the earth. He's uh, told us that in the Word of God, and so we know that there are some things through God's prophetic Word that we, we can trust and, and rely on that are going to come to pass. Things like the eternal state, that those of us who die in the Lord are going to spend eternity with Him in heaven. Those who die in our sins, separated from Christ, are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. And so... Uh, for the most part, God's sovereign will is a secret will. We don't really know what He has decreed or ordained until it comes to pass. But when it does come to pass, we know that He has decreed and ordained it from eternity past. God's sovereign will is certain, it's exhaustive, it's secret, and it is perfect. Sometimes it's called His perfect will. Now, it's perfect, but it includes things that are imperfect. It's kind of hard to wrap our head around that sometimes because God's sovereign will doesn't just include the good and happy things. It includes wicked things, evil things, horrendous things that happen to people, to children, to, to, uh, that, that we see all around us in the broken world that we live in. But all of those things are threads that God uses to put together the fabric of uh, His story and history. Uh, these perfect things ultimately lead to God's glory and to our good. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are, what does it say? All things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. If something happens, then it is, even, even if it is horrendous and horrific, if something happens, God is going to use that to eventually bring glory to Himself. And, and He'll do that in a way that, that is greater and grander than if that horrific thing had never occurred. 
God's glory is often set against the backdrop of the darkness and wickedness of sin. And so you say, well, you know, given all that, I'm not sure I want to pursue God's will or not. If it includes bad things and suffering and horrific things. And let me, let me give you this, this word of encouragement, though. God's will, God, even God's decretive will, is what you would want for yourself if you had the wisdom to want it. <laughs> Even those painful things. Some of you have lived enough life and you have enough miles behind you to know that even in those hardest days that you have experienced, you can trace the hand of God. Now, you may say, I sure hope I never go through that again. (laughs) But you can also say, I can see now that God was at work even in those moments. I met this past week at the cafe at RBC with a missionary uh, who is serving right now uh, Muslims in Turkey. And he's had three very difficult years of ministry. He's home for a few months of furlough, and we had the opportunity to, to visit together. My wife and I partner with them uh, financially in the work that they're doing there in, in Istanbul. Um, and... As he spoke about those, those, the past three years and the hardships that he's faced, he recognizes that God has ordained every one of those hard providences. God has ordained every one of those heartbreaks and disappointments. God has been at work in his, and, and in his perfection and in his goodness has ordained all things that have come to pass in his ministry in the last three years. Well, when we think of the will of God, we think of God's sovereign will, but we also think of God's, sometimes it's called His moral will, or His prescribed will, or His revealed will. What are we talking about when we talk about God's moral will? We're talking about the revealed Scriptures, the Word of God. God has revealed to us and given us this special revelation of what He expects of us what we are to believe, and how we are to behave. God's moral will are the commands that He gives to us in the Bible that teach us how we're to behave and how we're to live. Again, let's look at the 1689 Confession in chapter 1 on the Holy Scriptures. It says, "...the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture." Under which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. So, God's moral will, as He's given it to us in the Scriptures, is a reflection of His character. It's the very essence of ethics. Is it right or wrong to tell a lie? Well, it's wrong to tell a lie, right? The Ten Commandments says, You shall not bear false witness. Why is it wrong to tell a lie? It's wrong to tell a lie because God is truth. You see, something is right or something is wrong, either because it finds its basis in the essence and character of God, or it does not. That's what makes something right or wrong. That's how we derive Christian ethics. It is rooted in the character of God. And every command of Scripture is rooted in the character 
of God, maybe his purity, maybe his goodness, maybe his faithfulness, maybe his truthfulness. But every command that God gives us is rooted in the character of God. And it touches every aspect. It touches not only our actions, but our attitudes, our ambitions, our dreams, our goals, the means that we use to achieve an end. Now, it doesn't include what company you're supposed to work for, what job you're supposed to take, the name of the person you're supposed to marry. <laughs> you're not going to find that even in the book of Proverbs, okay? And so uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't deal with that. But there are things in here that guide us in those decisions. For example, we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that drives a lot of the decision-making that we, we should make when it comes to uh, dating and courtship and marriage and business decisions and, and many of those kinds of things. God's moral will is fully revealed in the Bible. There's not stuff that he's left out that we just have to try to figure out. God's will is not some Easter egg that he hides and we have to go hunt for. God has revealed in the scriptures all that is necessary for life and godliness. These precious promises, he says in Peter's book, uh, Peter's epistle. And then it's also able to equip us for every good work. So we think about the sovereign will of God, his perfect will, his decretive will. We think of the moral will of God, his revealed will. Let me show you some differences between the two. God's sovereign will is his secret plan that determines everything that comes to pass. His moral will are those revealed commands that he's given to us in the scripture to show us how we are to live. For the most part, his sovereign will is mostly hidden. His moral will is completely revealed. His sovereign will cannot be learned in advance, but his moral will should be learned so that we have guidance for how we live. His sovereign will cannot be missed or usurped or bypassed. His moral will can be disobeyed, can it not? Either through ignorance or through defiance. We can miss the moral will of God. So when we say we want to make decisions based on the will of God, we can't mean the sovereign will of God because we can't know that until it already happens. We must mean the, the moral will of God. We want to make decisions based on what the Scripture teaches us about how we're to, to think and how we're to live. So when it, here's the problem, though. When it comes to making decisions, even those of us who are Christ followers... We use some really funky methods, don't we? I mean, we, we really use some, some weird ways to make decisions when it, it comes to, to making decisions. Have you ever made a decision based on flipping a coin? Have you ever made a decision based on, as we say back home where I come from, eeny, meeny, miny, mo? Have you ever made a decision... I know that many of you are Calvinists and you base your theology on tulip. Have you ever made a decision based on a daisy? She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. Or astrology, horoscopes, uh, divination, crossing over. All of those things are clearly condemned by Scripture. And in the Old Testament, were punishable by stoning. 
Well, we don't do a lot of that, but we do kind of we do kind of spiritualize and sanitize our decision making so it looks a little more spiritual, right? For things like um, uh, we want to we want to find out what the scripture says. So God, I'm just gonna I got to make this decision. So I just want you to show me from your word. So I'm just gonna throw open the scripture, put my finger down, and whatever it says right there is gonna be the basis for my decision. I call that the lucky dip. <laughs> okay, and it usually doesn't work, right? In fact, my hand landed on Cush and Put and Lud and all Arabia and Libya and all the people of the land that is in the league shall fall with them by the sword. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, right? That's going to help me in my decision-making process, okay? Or, or we, look for, we look for signs, you know? If God wants me to buy this car, then I want the next person to walk through that door to be wearing a blue shirt, you know? We look for some kind of sign. Or, you know, I heard of somebody trying to make a decision. Are they going to move to Florida? Are they going to stay up north where they live? Which doesn't seem like a no-brainer decision to me, but... Nonetheless, there are people that are deluded up there. And, and I heard of a guy that saw a billboard driving down the road up there, saw a billboard, a tourism billboard for Florida. That was his sign, literally his sign, uh, that he was to move to Florida. So, you know, sometimes we, we put stock in dreams and visions or feelings or impressions or or throwing a fleece, if you've heard that term. It's taken from the book of Judges when Gideon put out a fleece and he said, God, if you really want me to go into battle, then, you know, one time he said, okay, I want all the ground to be wet with dew, but this, this fleece, this lambskin that I'm pulling out, I want it to be dry. And it was. And so he said, oh, okay, well, let's just make sure. Let's make sure. We're going we're gonna to do it again, but this time I want all the land to be dry, but I want the fleece to be wet. And it was. And so we think, well, that's how we're supposed to find the will of God is by throwing out a fleece like that. But in fact, God had already told Gideon what to do, but Gideon doubted what God had said. So it wasn't a, a method of finding the will of God. It was actually God dealing with a doubtful, uh, disobedient, uh, or, or at best, doubtful uh, believer. There's so many flaws when it comes to those spiritual ways of trying to find God's will for our life. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has breathed out His Word to us. And God is not still breathing out new revelation today. His canon is closed. So think of the ramifications of that. Because many times when we come to decision making, we are still wanting God to give some kind of new special revelation. If he could just write it in the sky, or if he could give me a dream, or if he could give me some kind of sign, or if he could kind of give me some kind of inner impression then I would know what his will is in this decision-making. So we often, maybe you've done this, I have done this, true confession. Maybe we use phrases like, I feel like God wants me to, or, you know, God just told me that we need to, 
By the way, guys, that's a bad breakup line, okay? You know, God just told me that we need to break up. and you know, It's also a bad pickup line. God told me we need to start dating. So uh, it, it's, it's not good either way, right? But sometimes we use that. God just told me. How did he tell you? Did you hear it? Well, no, I just felt him speaking to my spirit. And, and uh, God showed me or God spoke to me or God prompted me. God burdened me. Pastor God's just led me that uh, he wants my family to leave the church. You know, I just feel like God's leading us out of here and leading. Us, I don't know where we're going, but, you know, and, and we hear those kind of, I just have a peace about it, you know, and it's so subjective, this new revelation that we're getting from God when he speaks to us or when we, when we hear from him and, and all of that is fleshing itself out in our, in our decision-making. So what role does the Holy Spirit play in our decision-making? Well, the Holy Spirit's role in your life is not to reveal new truth for you, but to illumine your mind to the truth that God has revealed in His Word. Okay, but you've already said, I'm not going to find in here the name of my future spouse. I'm not going to find in here whether I need to go to graduate school. I'm not going to find in here whether I need to buy this house or not. So how do I make those kinds of decisions? Well, sometimes theologians speak of God's sovereign will, his decretive will, or his moral will, his prescribed will. And then they speak of, in those kind of matters, those kind of decisions that you have to make, they speak of God's individual will. And I'm not sure that's the most helpful way to think of our decision making. Instead, as you're studying through the book of Proverbs... I think a more helpful way is to think about the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom. That God gives us wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, in this series, your pastor has defined wisdom as uh, the knowledge of God applied. Is that right? Close enough? A wooten paraphrase of what he's given to us? It's the ability to see life from God's perspective and to act on it, to apply it, to be obedient to that, is what wisdom is. So... You can have confidence that God is guiding you in your decisions. How can you do that? Well, first of all, think about who he guides and then think about how he guides and then we'll be done. Okay, who does he guide? Well, I can tell you that the shepherd guides his sheep. (laughs) So if you're saved, God wants to guide you in your decision making. He also guides those who are are spirit filled. What does that mean? It means my sins are confessed. It means I am surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit. It means that I am determined to obey God's will as soon as I know what it is. I'm coming to God with an open hand, an empty hand, saying, God, whatever you want from me, I'll be obedient to it. Whether it's what I prefer, what I would pick, what my ambition is, or not. I'm submitting myself to your will. I'm submitting to the sovereignty of God in my life. And so when we are pursuing God in those kind of decisions, we we come with that open hand. We have to come humbly, right? We can't come with arrogance. We can't come with pride. We come humbly. Remember the the guy in in, um, the book of James that was um, saying, you know, we're going to go into this town. We're going to do this and this and this. We're going to make this business transaction. And, And James says, what he ought to say is, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills with a humility of heart, with a yieldedness to what God has for him. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, not a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. That doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. 
but it means that God is the one that has, can overrule, can redirect our plans. We need to come to God in a way that's humble. We need to come to God in a way that's hopeful, hopeful that all things will work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. And we need to come to God happy. You know, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, uh, it's a hard passage. Paul is unpacking the sovereignty of God and salvation in those chapters. And um, he, is, he is saying that we are not just puppets and robots. We're not left to fate. Uh, that we uh, do have a free will, but our will is bound by sin and will always choose away from God. And then as he, as he gets to the end of that passage, chapter 9, 10, and 11, he says, Oh, the depths of both the riches and wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, His ways past finding out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's become His counselor? Who's first given to Him and it shall be repaid? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You're happy. God, I don't understand all this. But I can tell you that I just come with a submissive will and, and I'm, I'm humble and I'm hopeful and I'm happy about your guidance in my life. So seeking, seeking wisdom and, and in God's providence in, in prayer. Um, actually, I think I've gotten my notes mixed up here. I have gotten my notes mixed up here. Let's let. So we talk about who God leads. God leads his saints. God leads his sheep. God leads those who are spirit-filled. God leads those who are, are submissive and are seeking him. And, and Ben, I don't know if you can do this, but if the passage that, that uh, Gil read to us at the beginning from Colossians chapter 1, I don't know if you can get us to Colossians 1 verse 9. Can you get us there? So from, Paul, at the beginning of his letters, Paul a lot of times will, will pray a prayer for those that he's writing. And this is the prayer he prays for the, the church at Colossae. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Look at what he prays. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Next verse. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For all endurance with patience, with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he's praying, I'm praying that you'll know God's will. I'm praying that you'll have wisdom. I'm praying you'll have understanding. I'm praying that you'll walk worthy. I'm praying that you'll be... Uh, your decisions will be fully pleasing to the Lord, that they'll bear fruit, that you're going to grow in your knowledge of who God is. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to be joyful. You're going to be hopeful. And so as we're seeking wisdom, that's the kind of prayer we need to be praying that God would give us guidance as we face decisions. So one uh, passage that you've read already in this series, this sermon series on Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I, uh, when those of you that go to RBC have a birthday, I sign that on the birthday card that our team sends to you. Um, how does God lead us? Who does God lead? He leads his sheep who are filled with the spirit and submissive to his will. How does he lead us? 
How do we make decisions? How do we know God's will for our life? Well, first of all, God's never going to lead you to make a decision that is contrary to the Word of God. Okay? So, uh, you know, the guy that comes to me, he's having marital trouble, and he says, you know, I just feel like God... God wants me to be happy, and so I'm going to leave my wife, and I'm just not happy in this marriage. I don't love her anymore, and so I'm just going to walk away from this, uh, you know, and, and without any biblical grounds of divorce, he just wants to abandon this marriage. And, and to feel that God is leading you to make that decision, oh, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy. So this is the way I'm going to be happy. If it violates the scriptures, you know it's not God's guidance for your life. God's guidance for you will never violate his revealed or moral will for your life. It will never go contrary to the word of God. So, God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. He doesn't show us the whole path many times. Have you noticed that in your life? Sometimes he just shows you a step or two. Hey, just take the step where you can see, okay? And trust God to reveal the path as it comes. You're not going to see the whole way. If God showed us the whole way, we'd all go running out of here screaming, okay? Because it would scare some of us. Because for some of you, God's going to call you to the mission field. And that's going to be a hard sell to your mom and dad. (laughs) Or to you. (laughs) To some of you, it may be I, I could very well be looking at someone who in the days ahead might be a martyr for the cause of Christ. If God showed us everything that was ahead for us, the suffering that was included, the painful providences that he had planned, we would be tempted to run, (laughs) to abandon the path. But God's word is a lamp to show us the steps that are just ahead. So one way he leads us is, is it consistent with the scripture? Secondly is, what do the authorities that he's placed in my life say? God has ordained authorities in our life. The Bible is an authority in our life. Our parents, if we're uh, still under their um, authority, as it were, we're we're not, uh, we haven't created our, established our own home. And even those of us who are adult children uh, are wise to lean into the wisdom and counsel of our parents. God gives the authority of government. 1 Peter chapter 2, Therefore submit yourselves in every ordinance of man to the Lord's sake, whether king is supreme or governor's. To those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. God puts governments in place. uh, And so uh, there are authorities, God-ordained authorities. Even if they're not godly governments, they're still God-ordained governments. Romans 13 tells us. Uh, Our parents, Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you. And you may live long on the earth. God gives us the wonderful gift of pastors in the church. Look at Hebrews 13. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive. They watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. It's not just so this guy doesn't have any headaches. It would actually be unprofitable for you if you were to be, um, not be obedient and not be submissive to those who look out for your souls. Now, certainly it's possible for all of these human authorities, parents, governments, pastors, um, to be fallible, right? And it's possible for them to to give counsel that might even contradict the Scripture. So we don't look at these human authorities as as, uh, infallible, but we do recognize God has put authorities in our lives, and we are wise 
it is the way of wisdom to lean into the advice of those who have authority over us. And then to seek wisdom. Do you remember uh, what you read in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that very first sermon in this series? It said, the, be- the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That, that verse is going to appear several times in the book of Proverbs. It's going to appear in the book of Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do you get wisdom? You fear the Lord. Another way to get wisdom is to ask. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach. It will be given to him. You remember that, that second sermon in Proverbs chapter 2? Where, where God said, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We need to ask. We need to seek it. We need to want it. God, I want to make a wise decision. Give this to me. We need to research our decisions. Remember what Nehemiah did when the walls were broken down? He went and surveyed the walls, looked at what it's going to take to rebuild these walls. What does this job entail? Did the research, gathered the material, and then to get godly counsel as well. Sometimes God gives us desires, and that can be a hint towards uh, what he wants us to do. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And then again, to seek godly counsel, Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So let me give you a decision-making checklist, and then I'm done. If you're facing a decision about marriage or graduate school or a purchase or where to live or whatever it might be for your situation, here's here's a helpful checklist. Number one, is it consistent with the Scriptures? What What does the Bible say about it? And sometimes it will in broad, general ways. Sometimes it, it may not drill down into your specific situation. What do my authorities say about it? The authorities that God's put in my life. What is the wisest choice of those options I have facing me? What is the desire of my heart? And then what do other godly people that I trust and who know me and would have my best interests at heart say about this? And then you walk in the way of wisdom. You step out in faith. You step out in obedience. You step out with a desire that wants to honor God uh, and, and not pursue selfish ambition, but that this decision would bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus, and you step out in faith. Does that mean you're not going to make a mistake? No, it doesn't mean that. And it, means, it may mean you try something and it didn't work, and you have to try something else, and that's okay too. God uses and ordains those circumstances as well. But as, we are, as you are walking through this study of Proverbs and you're running up against the decisions that life brings your way, may you pursue the way of wisdom and may God grant that to you for His glory and for your good. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for this dear congregation and the families and members of it. I pray that you would direct their steps and you would help them to, to be wise as we seek to make decisions and follow your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.